0: Good morning and welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You are listening to Element FM and you are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. In Ottawa at 95.7 and in Toronto at 106.5. You can also listen by downloading the Radio Player Canada app and just going to one of those two stations, 95.7 in Ottawa or 106.5 and listen anywhere across Canada. Here on the show this morning, we have a very special guest with us. Michael Hainsworth is in the studio with us today. And uh, Michael has had a very interesting career. Uh, You may have heard of him with uh, Business News Network. He spent 18 years there as a senior anchor. He also spent uh, time with CTV Evening News. And uh, he now has his own project going forward. In fact, he told me just before we came on the air this morning that it's coming up to a, a year uh, April 4th I think is what he said was uh, it's going to be a year anniversary for him uh, uh, stretching his wings you mm-hmm. might say and going off into his own venture Michael welcome to the show this morning
1: well thank you very much I'd like to describe it as jumping out of an airplane without a parachute and, <laughs> and stitching it on the way down and, and fortunately before I left a giant crater in the earth Futurismic uh, was the media platform mm-hmm. that, that I launched and and I it was why I left a, a cushy mainstream career. You say you might have heard of me. I like to describe myself as, <laughs> as specialty TV famous mm. at, at BNN uh, talking about stocks and things like that, and on CTV talking about technology stories. But Futurismic is ultimately a, a platform where we can talk about the impact technology that is being built today will have on us in the future. And it's something that's really close to my heart. And quite frankly, it's close to everybody's heart mm. in light of what happened in 2016 with the U.S. U.S. presidential election and how Facebook was used to manipulate us. It it took us a decade, basically, for the public to to come to recognize that there was a double-edged Sword mm. nature to social media. You know, most of us didn't even hear about Facebook until 2009 or even opened the doors to the public in 2007. And, and sure enough, uh, 10 years later, we're going, well, maybe sharing, you know, kitty cat photos and pictures of our kids is all well and good. But this sharing of fake news that played such a, a pivotal role in, in the the discourse or the
0: lack thereof we mm. have
1: today is something that we really need to address.
0: Mm. So is that part of why you decided to start start Is is it what was the background there behind that and taking that leap? I've always been a nerd.
1: Okay. Uh, as a matter of fact, I had an opportunity <laughs> to to interview Nolan Bushnell, the mm-hmm. creator of the Atari 2600. Nice. And I, I even had him autograph, which is, it, I've never done this in my entire career, actually asked a guest to autograph something. Because, <laughs> okay. um, you know, you, you've got these journalistic integrity issues, you, you know, you don't want <laughs> uh, right. to. But I have a photo of Christmas morning of 1978 of me opening up the the present, and it's the Atari 2600, and how few of us actually have A pictorial evidence of mm. a major pivot in our lives, right. and and that was mine. Right. You know, wearing the pajamas Christmas morning, had yeah, it had to have been like five a.m. <laughs> uh, and so it was. I've always been someone who's been interested in technology, mm. and and ultimately where it goes from here. Mm-hmm. I'm never satisfied with living in the present. I always want to be that guy who's living ten years, fifteen years ahead. I I built my first smart home. 20 years ago, and when we gutted the house seven years ago, refreshed it with all the new gear. Mm-hmm. I, my daughter used to boast that you know, she was the only kid who had a house that talked to her when right. she came home, and now everybody's house does right, right. because of Alexa and, and mm-hmm. Google Home and all of these types of technologies, and we're so happy about it, but we just realized that we put these little bug listening devices in our homes back in the 1970s we were so worried about the government listening in on our telephone calls and now fast forward to today we self-bugged us mm. for that exact purpose mm. and we see benefits to having Alexa in our homes like it's been a marriage saver for me just on the ability to tell it to add things to the grocery list mm. you know the ability to say turn off all the lights and all of the lights go off right uh, my poor long suffering wife has been dealing with these types of technological leaps forever mm. but all of them come with questions questions sure. that we need to
0: ask right and what are some of those questions
1: well some of those questions are for whom does this technology ultimately benefit and you know we started off with a facebook conversation mm-hmm. and that is the the prime example and there were uh, it was not too long after it launched and we all started to ask ourselves how is this company making money Mm -hmm. Well, what's that all about, really? Mm -hmm. And it created a phrase, or at least it drew attention to the phrase that goes, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. Mm -hmm. And that opened our eyes to the realization that Facebook isn't a social media company. It's a data harvesting company. Mm -hmm. It's a company designed to figure out what we do, how we feel, where we go from here, and sell that data to the highest bidder to ensure that that bidder can sell us whatever it is they want us to have. Right.
0: And where do you see this going then in the future? That's what uh, what's what you're working with, right? Well, that's what I'm
1: working with, is, is where do all these different technologies take us? Um, what's the downside? And, and how do we course correct mm. to ensure that we take advantage of these technologies without them taking advantage of us? It was remarkable to see that, uh, that that piece that Zuckerberg himself, Mark Zuckerberg, had written about the need for Facebook to be regulated. Mm. Holy moly. It, it We've been calling for this for years, and it's taken him years to come around to the idea. And let's ask ourselves why. Why does Zuckerberg suddenly think that we need to be regulated? regulating his business mm. and this is in my opinion an attempt to get in front of the problem mm. a problem that he has not been in front of since day one and that it wasn't truly until we saw the Christchurch massacre that we saw facebook recognize that they are not going to be able to control the message they're not going to be able to control the social media backlash Um, And ironically, the hand that feeds them is biting them. And that's us. We're Mm. we're biting back. And so he goes forth and he tells the U.S. government that, yes, in certain respects, we need to be regulated by you. You need to run our business for us. Mm. And it's an attempt to get ahead of the problem so that they're part of the conversation with lawmakers about what does and does not get regulated because they recognize that if they're not part of the conversation, if they're not in the room when the laws are being drawn up, it's not going to be drawn up in their benefit. Uh, you know, e- Even in the, the industry of radio, we have the Canadian Broadcast Standards Council mm-hmm. because we recognized that if we don't, as a collective industry, get ahead of the issues, then the government's going to be censoring us for us. Right. So let's self-censor so that we've at least got some sort of autonomy in the decision-making process. And it's the exact same situation all over again. It's that you know, Yogi Berra deja vu all over again with the tech industry recognizing that regulation is not something to fight anymore. Regulation is something to craft. Mm. And lobbying efforts that we've seen over the course of the last decade through companies like Facebook and others... Uh, See that lobbying only takes you so far. You have to be in the room when these decisions get made. Otherwise, they may not be made in your best corporate interest. Right. We as the public have to ask ourselves, why are we letting corporate interests
0: drive that agenda? Mm -hmm. Well, with that being said, uh, some of the other things that you are are dabbling into or at least you're looking into – is uh is for instance you know the idea of when you said our homes are talking to us you know the mm-hmm. idea of friendly robots and i remember yeah. uh um elevate uh, last year here in toronto um i went to that event and and i saw some of these friendly robots that were walking around mm-hmm. that i heard about you know certain restaurants in india uh in certain places in asia that that you know you walk in somewhere and you're greeted by one of these robots, or you walk down and you you, you sit at a table and order your your meal uh, on a on a, a plate a, t- a tablet on the table, and it comes out to you. Uh, it automatically goes mm-hmm. into the kitchen and it's brought out to you. So, but but I guess the thing is that, as you said, there's there's two sides to everything, and um, how far does this uh, does this take us? When you know. Uh, I wrote down earlier when I was thinking about this. Uh, I saw this, this film a while back. It was called Brainstorm. Do you oh, that
1: movie was a like 1985 or so, where we're recording people's thoughts and then playing them back. Yes, I had that same thought yeah. because I now have one of the high-end virtual reality headsets mm-hmm. called an Oculus Rift. Okay, and um, there's a scene in that Christopher Walken film mm-hmm. that's just a flash. And I think we all were titillated by it back Mm. in the 80s when it happened. It was a fleeting thought. And it was uh, an attractive young woman sitting on the lap of of a man lying on a bed. Mm. And it was not Christopher Walken lying on the bed. Somebody else recorded that moment of sexuality. And then Christopher Walken gets to play that back. Mm -hmm. Um, The proliferation and the rise of virtual reality pornography... Mm. Is something that takes us all the way back to that idea of the '80s. Mm. We we often talk about how um, adult content drives technological advances, <laughs> sure. and the VHS tape right. gets cited as the, the the poster boy for that kind of thing. But I, I thought of exactly that movie for exactly that reason as I was going through one of those VR oriented websites, talking about these these different issues and just how incredibly powerful that's becoming.
0: You know, and that augmented reality idea and and where that takes us and and where it can go. You you were mentioning earlier that uh, how anything could become a tool for for, uh, augmented reality. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are in terms of where you see augmented reality from your conversations that you've had with people, where you see this going in the near future, Um, because... You know certainly i 've heard about augmented reality and how it can be used to you know go on to the you know uh, capture this q r code it takes you somewhere or or it can create uh even in, within the indigenous uh world there are uh, markers on trails yeah. where where uh, 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 communities used to be mm-hmm. and if you you know you scan this q r code and bring up your 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 tablet or your phone all mm-hmm. of a sudden you can see what this community used to look like, and we don 't have to imp we don't have to have an impact on the environment. Right. It can stay in its natural form, but now you can see what it looks like or what it used to look like and walk through it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's holding up, and, and I think that we, are, as people, we're lazy. We yes. want things to become easier and easier. Obviously, we mm-hmm. see that around us all the time. So I'm wondering about how augment re- augmented reality if you If you have any insight from what you've uh, heard about from people, how is it going to become easier for us to take advantage of that uh and and you know one of the things I read about a conversation you had with someone in this ter- in this area said that within two years yeah. it's going to be
1: within two years, almost all of us are going to be using augmented reality in mm. one way shape or form that's that's a pretty bold statement mm. so if we unpack that, let's sort of all first of all parse it. when I say all of us, mm. I mean all of us. Who can afford a smartphone? <laughs> okay. you know, and that's really what it comes down to, mm. is augmented reality within two years is going to be something that those of us who are wealthy enough to own a little glowing rectangle in our pocket, mm-hmm. and of the 7.5 to 8 billion people on the planet, there are 6 billion of them. Mm-hmm. So for all intents and purposes, most of us have these devices. Um, th- that's one point. The second point is, well, what is augmented reality? What is that... Technology that we are all apparently going to be using within the next twenty-four months. Well, augmented reality is a whole host of different things. Uh, you point out a prime example of it, which is you—you um, you snap a picture of a QR code and it takes you to a website that mm-hmm. helps you hold up your phone to a, a, a grassy field and reveal what that used to look like mm. two hundred years ago in mm-hmm. Canada. Uh, that technology is going to advance even more dramatically where you're not even going to need to snap that QR code. You're just going to hold up your phone to that location, and mm. that app that you've already got on your mm. phone is going to do all of that for you. That's a, a very specific case use example. Uh, the one that we're most, most of us are going to end up using AR for in the next two years is wayfinding. We're mm. already using it right now in the form of you ask Google to get you from point A to point B, you mm. put your phone in your pocket and your wireless headphones as you approach that intersection, say, turn left. Right. So that is a, an augmentation of our reality. Mm. Similarly, we'll be able to hold the phones up, and we're already able to do this, and you will see the arrows point in the directions, not based upon just the GPS technology, mm. but The phone's ability to understand visually what it's looking at, what that room looks like, what that street corner looks like. And that's within the next two years um, the kind of thing that gets given to us, not because we downloaded an app to make it possible, but because the manufacturers of our little glowing rectangles are going to start incorporating those technologies in as part of standard system updates, which is in part the other reason why you... Are going to have to buy another bloody smartphone every freaking year and a half because the technology right. is advancing so dramatically, sure. and the horsepower required to pull mm. this kind of stuff off just gets that much more uh, expensive that we end up having to replace our phones. Because could you imagine trying to use a first generation iPhone today? <laughs> it's it's a doorstop. Mm. It's wedge it in the crack of the door. It's mm. the only thing you can use it for now, but wait a minute, it still connects to the internet, it still accesses my email, but why am I not capable of using it? Well, because everything we're piling into our phones requires that much more power right. that even a third-generation device is no longer a viable purchase. I always advise people, and this is my little you know, geek aside when it comes to upgrading your smartphone, people come to me all the time and ask me, so you're going to get the new iPhone, you're going to get the new this, the new mm-hmm. that. If you are not willing to buy that new device on the day of, stick with what you've got. So many people have have said to me, oh, I'm thinking about that new iPhone, but it's too expensive. So I'm going to get the previous generation. Mm. Well, that previous generation is a year old already just by shelf life. It's a year and a half to two years old as far as technological advancement is concerned. And you are going to own that phone for at least two years. Mm -hmm. Unless somebody steals it, you smash Mm -hmm. it into a million pieces. IDC tells us that the average cell phone ownership is 18 months. Mm -hmm. But that's because nerds like me are upgrading them every year and it's screwing with the average. (laughs) By and large, we're probably going to own a phone for two years, maybe Mm -hmm. three. So if you buy a year-old phone by the time you're done with it, you're five years behind Mm. the curve. Mm. And it reminds me of when I bought a car because as a geek, I threw all of my money into building computers in the 80s. All of my friends were throwing their money into getting girls in the 1980s. (laughs) And the best way, at least I was told, I have no evidence (laughs) of it, was to have a car. (laughs) And so all my friends were throwing their money into cars. I was throwing it into computers. And so I drive cars into the ground. I had a Honda Civic for 11 years. And mm. when I sold it, I got blue book value for it because, first of all, those vehicles, that technology you know, is, is rock solid. Mm. I don't know of any other manufacturer who can claim what you can get out of a Honda or even, mm. I suppose, a Toyota. But that 11 years I owned that vehicle, I missed an entire technology upgrade cycle. Mm. So that when I got a new vehicle, which incidentally wasn't a Honda, it had tech in it that – Everybody else had had for years mm. that I was just getting for the first time, mm. uh, including the fact that the, the there was a camera on the front, a camera on the back, a camera on the left, a camera on the right, and it created a 360-degree top-down video game-style view for when mm-hmm. you were parallel parking your car. Right. And here I was evangelical about this technology that all my friends were going, oh, yeah, we've had that for years. <laughs> and then you'd have the Luddites tell me, oh, Michael, listen, it, don't get used to those cameras. If you don't drive that car without cameras, you're never going to be able to drive a car unless it has a camera so don't get used to that camera and sure enough two weeks into owning this brand new car i heard that luddite voice in my head and i thought i'm gonna back out of this parking spot without these cameras i'm gonna do it the old-fashioned way the way dad taught me and i pulled out and put a softball sized dent in the side of the car because i didn't see the pillar you mean it didn't beep at you? <laughs> well, I turned all that off, didn't I? Because I was going to do it the old-fashioned way. So quite frankly, I, I, it was my lesson learned that I, mm. I can't listen to the Luddites. But at the same time, um, there is some validity to that. Mm. I just came back from a part of the world that doesn't have a lot of this technology. Sure. Yep. And if I got into a vehicle, could I have driven it? Could I have gotten from point A to point B without the sat-nav? That was either in the dash or in my pocket in the form of my smartphone. Mm. Uh, We have become so dependent on these technologies that we need to understand what we're giving up
0: when we bring them into our lives. Well, that's a really interesting point, isn't it? What are we giving up? What are we actually losing? What are we losing sense of as a a person, as a being, as as, as a sensory person in our surroundings, our physical surroundings? So in the augmented reality example,
1: so let's, let's bring this out beyond those two years and let's advance this conversation a decade. We will have augmented reality built into our eyeglasses, such as the pair you're mm-hmm. wearing right now. Uh, within five years of that, we are going to have contact lens level mm-hmm. augmented reality technology. Right. Companies are working on it now. Sure. And if you just look at the upgrade cycle and you know the, the theory called Moore's Law... You can extrapolate that it's not inconceivable that within 10 to 15 years we are going to have a lot of this augmented reality technology built into our eyeballs in one way shape or form so what does that mean if we don't establish today the ground rules for this technology by the time that singularity like event happens where our devices are built into our bodies it may be too late so By example, the issue that we wouldn't expect augmented reality to threaten is our sense of identity. But it won't be long before if I decide that I don't like you, I can digitally edit you out of my life. Hmm. Not just social media by blocking you, but by blocking you in the real world so that when you walk down the street, I just see a fuzzy outline of someone that I don't want to know. And similarly, what if that technology allows me to block Me, from your vision, you don't even see me walking down the street. It sounds science fiction and far-fetched, but these are the realities that we will have if we don't address what the impact of this technology is going to have on us today.
0: It sounds very much like either a a movie or a series I've watched recently. Right,
1: Black Mirror (laughs) addressed this um, very well insofar as everybody had a social uh, number associated with them. And, you know, art follows life or life follows art in this case, because in China right now, authorities in Beijing have exactly that. They have augmented reality uh, goggles that Mm. they wear Mm. as part of their uniform. And it is directly talking to the cloud, as it were, about every person that is seen. And it pops up over that person whether or not they're wanted, which sounds like a really valuable technology to have. But it also addresses a whole bunch of other things about who that person is. And so maybe that person has spoken out against the state at some point. Mm. And so their score is a little bit lower. Now, what if the opinion of that particular police officer in Beijing is very far right Mm. and the views of the person they're looking at are far left and that person litters? Well, most of us are going to turn a blind eye to somebody throwing a bubblegum wrapper on the floor. But maybe that cop isn't. And now we've got this person harassed, not because it's against the law to litter in a manner that is worthy of being thrown to the ground and handcuffed and carried away, but f- maybe it does. Maybe this is the world that we have. We have to set the ground rules for this type of technology before it gets out of hand. And in states like China, where the government is all-seeing and all-powerful, they're not going to have the ability to have the conversations that we in the Western world have now. We have to have these
0: conversations now before it's too late. Well, that sounds like a good spot for us to pause and uh, uh, take a break here on Element FM. We're going to uh, come back and talk with Michael Hainsworth right after this on Element FM. We're back on Moment of Truth and Element FM. I'm your host, David Moses. Our guest today is Michael Hainsworth and uh, when I introduced him at the top of the hour, I, w- I was partially being coy when I-, I said you might have heard from him or, or <laughs> of, of him. Uh, he's been around uh, a long time in the industry working with uh, the Business News Network as well as uh, CTV Evening News. Uh, Michael, it's a real, a real pleasure to have you on and, and talk about some of the stuff you're doing now with your with your new endeavor, uh, Futurismic, which I love the name, by the way. It reminds me of your rhythmics and,
1: Yeah, know. Yeah, it's a portmanteau of future and algorithm mm. because algorithms are going to be one of those defining technologies of the next 25 to 50 years, quite Mm. frankly, uh, as far as their importance. There are a bunch of key technologies that are almost sleeper technologies that, by and large, we don't think about on a day-to-day basis. Uh, Algorithms are are, are one of them. Uh, Other types of technologies that we don't really think about that are going to completely change the way we live, 5G. Fifth generation wireless mm. is, as far as I'm concerned, one of the most defining technologies of the next two decades. And that's, uh, p- people aren't even really aware of what it is or why it's important. And when we talk about why it's important, the usual explanation is well, for example, a high definition movie you would download onto your phone today would take about four and a half minutes to download. Under 5G, that'll go from four and a half minutes to 1.2 seconds. Mm. And that sounds like a remarkable increase, and it is, but that's not what's going to make that technology so defining to our day-to-day lives. What makes the technology so powerful is, in addition to the speed at which it can send data Mm. back and forth, it's the latency. The speed at which it takes to go from point A to point B is going to be so short that for our brains, it's going to feel like real time. Um, By example, when I talked to the head of global markets at Intel about autonomous vehicles, he believes autonomous vehicles will consume six terabytes of data every single day. And that's because when we go from level one cars, which is a standard vehicle today, to level five, which is it doesn't even have a steering wheel or pedals. Mm. In the interim, we are going to see over the next five to 10 years, the fact that our smart cars, our self-driving cars, are not going to know how to handle every single situation. Sure. But instead of turning to you, instead of going, beep, beep, you need to figure out what to do about this, we're going to have a similar scenario to what we see with the U.S. military drone program. Guys sitting in trailers mm. in right. Arizona, right. flying planes on the other side of the okay. planet. Yep. It's the same sort of thing. When we hit the level four Point where we just get in a car, tell us where, tell it where we want to go, and then stop thinking about it, there will be times where the vehicle won't know what to do. But instead of asking you to deal with it, it's going to turn it over to a guy sitting in a bunker somewhere. And the only way you can do that when you're traveling 100 kilometers an hour on a highway is if that video feed is real time. Sure. Not delayed two seconds. Because two seconds is the difference between life and death. Of course. So that's one example. The other example of how fifth-generation wireless is going to change our lives is that the tower that we have outside today handling fourth-generation only handles, say, a thousand simultaneous users. Mm. You're going to have tens and hundreds of thousands of simultaneous devices accessing that single tower at any given moment. So The sheer volume that you can throw at that tower is going to be so much greater. And the reason why it's going to be needed is because of this thing called the Internet of Things. Everything Mm -hmm. is going to be connected to the Internet. Not the Internet as we know it, World Wide Web type nonsense. But sensors for the climate control in this room are ultimately going to be connected via 5G. And they're going to be incredibly low power because you don't want to be replacing 9-volt batteries every three months or every six months like you do with your smoke detector. Mm -hmm. This is going to be a device that sits there, doesn't do anything until it needs to do something, and then it's going to send off a burst of data and then basically shut itself into low power mode again. Mm. You'll never have to replace the batteries in those devices. And it's not just climate control, but it's a whole host of other things as well that are going to govern our lives. If you've got an occupancy sensor in this room, which is different than a motion sensor that we we have today, Mm. we're going to be able to keep track of where all of us are in real time, in addition to where our smartphones are and all that kind of stuff. And 5G is going to make all of that kind of stuff possible in ways that we can only begin to figure out. And it'll take 10, ten years from now, you and I will be having this conversation again mm-hmm. in whatever variation of this studio exists. Uh, who knows? By that point, it may all just be mind to mind <laughs> You know, with, with our, our phones embedded in our, our, our brains. But ultimately... We're going to figure out that there are some real positives to hmm. everything always being connected. And there sure. are going to be a bunch of negatives
0: as of well. You know, when you were saying that, um, I, I thought of uh, – I, I read a book a while back, uh, Future future Focus, Future Forward. Yep. And it talked about um, Africa and how they've sort of leaped over the whole – uh, infrastructure idea. Right, of because, the old telephone system. Exactly, right? And and I'm just wondering, um, you know, I mean, that to me seems like a benefit, that you don't have to set up a lot of that stuff, and it's moving those things forward. I bring that back here to to the Canadian North, mm. and trying to, you know, establish that kind of infrastructure, or making that leap, so that we have that kind of infrastructure. We were talking about that a little bit off the air before with the show. Mm. Um do you see this this 5G being able to help move that kind of infrastructure forward faster? I would
1: like to be optimistic about that, but I'm not. Uh, part of that conversation we had before we started the program was that quote from William Gibson, mm-hmm. which is, the future is here, right. it's just not evenly distributed. Yes, And if you go far enough north in Ontario, for example— uh, It feels like you're going back in time. Mm. Your LTE on your phone switches from LTE to 3G. right? (laughs) And suddenly you're like, well, what's the point of doing anything if it's only 3G? Whereas there was a time when 3G, when you saw that on your phone, going back to that conversation about the original iPhone, for Mm. example, um, you were thrilled about that. One of the problems with fifth-generation wireless technology is that while it's capable of transmitting and receiving an incredible amount of data at incredibly high speeds with very short latencies, is that it requires the infrastructure to be built out that much more than we've already got. All right, the, sure. the the towers, the antennas, as it were, don't can't be every few kilometers. They have to be every few hundred feet, ah. by and large. And so that means that cities like Toronto and Ottawa will be the first to benefit from Mm -hmm. this high-speed connection. And then you'll get into the outlying regions and you'll be disappointed when your phone goes from the 5G indicator (laughs) down to LTE. (laughs) Uh, And then you go further afield to that and Mm -hmm. you get up into the far north. And you ask yourself, why on earth would any of the telecommunication companies in this country invest the money into putting these towers every X number of hundreds Mm. of feet when the ARPU, your average revenue per user, is going to fall through the floor. Mm. So there's a business case that can't be made for wiring up the far north, which I think is why it's critical that, as we saw in the last federal budget, the 2019 federal budget, Billion dollars set aside for Indigenous peoples in this country, a portion of that needs to be carved out for technology. Mm. We often we see this in Toronto, and I suppose to a similar degree in Ottawa. A panhandler sitting on the sidewalk, maybe he's got his dog sitting there. Mm-hmm. And there was a time when you go, "Oh yeah, why am I going to give that guy money? He's got a dog." And then, 21st century version is the dog isn't sitting there. The guy's sitting there on his iPhone. You're like, well, why would I give my hard-earned money to some punk-ass kid sitting there with a smartphone begging for change? That doesn't tell us something about the kid who's begging for change. It tells us something about the nature of that technology. The smartphone is not a luxury. If you want to succeed in society today, you have to be connected. You have to be always on. You have to be accessible. And that goes forward into our indigenous communities as well and into the far north. We need to ensure that everybody's got the ability to do what I can do sitting in downtown Toronto in a cafe mm. um, because who knows where our next data scientist is going to come from. The next medical scientist who's going to cure cancer is going to come from. Mm. Everybody needs a level playing field to ensure that we as a society, and, and not just as a Western society, but let's, let's make it jingoistic. Let's make it about Canada. If Canada wants to maintain and build its lead on the world stage in a variety of technologies that will define our future... Everybody needs a chance to participate in that. And so that's why I think it's critical that we address a lot of the issues that we have of not sending that infrastructure into the far north, not giving people access to the internet to the degree that I've got here in downtown Toronto. It's like going back in time. You hit a certain point the further north you go, suddenly it's 1996. Mm. That's unacceptable.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, we had someone actually on the show here talking about uh, heading north. They were up north and they got lost. They weren't that far north, uh, but they had ended up uh, off off the grid, you might say. They were mm-hmm. following their car GPS system and, and ended up somewhere they, they didn't know where they were and it wasn't the right road. But they, as they were going down this road, they had this example. They were traveling down this road and they saw a bunch of kids standing in the middle of the road with their with their arms up in the air, and they didn't know what. They were as they approached these kids. They noticed all, they had all their phones and their tablets in their hands, and it was a First Nation. They were on this First Nation road, and they got up and they said, "What are you guys doing?" And they said, "We're trying to do our homework." Yeah. They it was the only place they could find a connection by holding it up in this particular area where they could get the connection they needed to download their questions, get their homework done, and and reconnect. So. It's, uh, and
1: how likely are they? to succeed mm. when we have exactly. a government today yeah. that says all students have to do e-learning. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, Mr. Premier, but not all students have access right. to the technology necessary to make that happen. And even those that do, I guarantee you, the price those kids are paying to stand at the edge yeah. of their community yeah. because that's where the exactly. cell signal Outside. is the best, <laughs> those kids are at a substantial disadvantage that you can't just tell them, well, use your technology. Their technology is not working the way mm-hmm. it is for my 12-year-old daughter mm-hmm. who has to fight back against the ban of cell phones in the classroom because mm-hmm. they're a required tool. Like there was a time when I remember as, as a student being told, well, you know, um, don't rely on, on that, that calculator. You're not always going to have a calculator in your pocket. Oh, really? Oh, really? You know, and so – but there, there was a requirement; like I had to go out and get myself a scientific
0: calculator mm. to do
1: the work I needed to do. And if I didn't have that, I would have failed. Right. No two ways about
0: it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good, good points to, to make. Now, um, one of the other things uh, from your your own uh, work uh, that you've done over time, working in the the business world, uh, deal crunching numbers and mm. talking about the stock exchange and, and all those kind of things. I, I would like to to talk with you. Um, about that side of things as we move forward down this road of technological advancement and the bottom line and and, and stocks and, and how our world, I would, I would think, needs to change because we can't keep going down the same road if we're going to have all this, this wonderful stuff but not have clean air and fresh water and a place that we can actually live as human beings.
1: I am unexpectedly optimistic about this after talking to a lot of the thought leaders um, in my experience building the Futurhythmic Media platform, is that a couple of things, and, and I, I, I may rub you a little bit the wrong way because I, I, you might be on the, the, the leading or the trailing edge of the boomer generation mm. versus me, which is that, that solid Gen Xer, mm-hmm. slacker type. Um, the people who are making the decisions are literally dying out. The kids who are now the second biggest – or sorry, now the biggest demographic in the workforce today, the millennial generation, Mm -hmm. this is the future. Um, The the boomer generation is still holding the purse strings, but that's not going to be for much longer. And the millennial generation is the one that recognizes the ill of technology. When we look at fake news as a prime example, and I had a really fascinating conversation with Jimmy Wales, the founder of Wikipedia, Mm -hmm. because I was really worried that here's this guy who set up this website dedicated to facts, indisputable facts. And, And are you worried about the future? And surprisingly, he was optimistic. And that sort of helped inform my opinion on the matter, which is when it comes to fake news, by example, the boomer generation was four times more likely to share fake news than a millennial, which is a remarkable thing considering Mm. the boomer generation was the one that told me video games and TV was going to make me violent and extremist. And it turned out that it was the boomer generation that ended up being (laughs) violent and extremist about certain issues of the day, if you don't mind me saying. Um, The millennials get it in a way that much of the population does not. And so there's going to be an aging out component Mm -hmm. to this fake news issue. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean we can be complacent. We have to address these issues now, and this is. While I, as a Gen Xer, built the internet as we know it today, the millennials will be the one that will uh, that, that grew up in it. Um, I remember life before it, whereas a millennial has never known life without right. it. it. It's sort of like how I feel about microwave ovens. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't yeah. remember a time before a microwave oven. Right. Um, The kids today can't remember a time before the ability to go online and look something up. And so because they've been raised by the Internet, they've got a a, a sense of not only responsibility towards the policing of it and and the issues of of fake news, but they see it coming in ways that the rest of us don't. Um, They're not the generation that needs to be taught you can't trust everything you see on TV. For two reasons. One, they grew up in an environment where, first of all, they didn't have TV. Uh, you know, this whole thing about cord cutting and the mainstream media saying cord cutting is not a problem. You're dealing with a generation that never had a cord to cut right, in the first place. Right. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, they have an understanding about the nature of this technology in ways that the people who are making the
0: rules today do not. That's a good point to make. Uh, my 14-year-old daughter is, uh, is an example of exactly what you're talking about, so I, I can readily understand that. We have to take a pause. So we're going to take a break right here on Element FM and Moment of Truth, but be right back with Michael Hainsworth. We're back on Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, in Ottawa at 95.7 and in Toronto at 106.5. Our guest today, Michael Hainsworth. And Michael... Um, we've been talking to him about uh, a number of things and they're all fascinating. Uh, I find it it very interesting his his new project which he left mainstream me- media to go into is futurismic and uh Michael, you know, I I'd like to uh, sort of get your sense of of some of the things that you've been covering because there's a lot of stuff on here that I that I've looked at that I've seen that you you you've got yourself dabbling into and you know some of the some, it's technology politics you know economics mm. and the research behind the all of the technology that's going on what, what would you like to talk with about in the next 20 minutes or so uh, about about things that are coming down the pipe or or that you see really interesting
1: the autonomous vehicle one is is the one that particularly okay. interests me uh because there we we talk about the unintended consequences mm-hmm. of technology. And that's in part what Futurismic is all about, is, is spotlighting what it is that uh, we, we, we see coming and, and what it means 10 years out or, or so. And one of the more fascinating things that I, I learned about the unintended consequences of uh, the autonomous vehicle technology is in the medical field. Okay. Where are we going to get our organs for organ transplants if people stop dying in car crashes. (laughs) How bizarre is it to think that there is going to come a time where we will have a shortage of available product, as the medical community might call it, because we figured out how to let vehicles move at a high rate of speed without the inherent risks that come with it. So that was a, an interesting example of the unintended consequences of technology. Now, what we also have to recognize is that when we look at technology, any one given thing, is that we can't look at it in isolation. There was a time when they started putting cameras on flip phones. Mm. And you'd walk into a room of people and go, oh, my flip phone's got a camera. Let me take a picture. And you get all this eye rolling. What do you need a camera on a phone for? Could you imagine a smartphone manufacturer selling a device today without a camera in it? <laughs> uh, and, and variations of, of, of that as well. So, when we look at that smart car technology and the idea that, uh, or the EV technology, when we think about how it's going to put, you know, organ transplant couriers out of business, mm. well, that's looking at that technology in isolation. Mm. We also have 3D printing technology mm. that right now is being used for, in many cases, really ridiculous purposes. I asked a guy not too long ago uh, who was a big proponent of it, why do I need this? Well, you know, you've got a young daughter at home. Wouldn't it be neat to be able to make dollhouse furniture for her? I'm like, I'm not dropping $3,000 on a 3D printer just so that my little girl can have an extra couch for her dollhouse. But that's, again, looking at that technology in isolation. We are now using it to print food. We're now using it for
0: organic matter. Sorry, back up a minute.
1: Yeah. Food? Yes. I was at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, and they were showing off 3D-printed baked goods. Now, granted, the cookies weren't particularly good. You're talking edible. Edible. Completely edible. Because it's all a function of taking a raw material. In in the early days, it was plastics. Now we're moving on to biomatter. Mm -hmm. And we are now entering the stage where we're starting
0: to do some major research in 3D printed organs. So this is on the oh, okay yeah. So now we're talking about replicators. Yeah, we, we
1: and and this is this, this is a, a a lot of fun because I'm going to be going down to Los Angeles later this week to talk to the science fiction author Cory Doctorow about how science fiction informs <laughs> Our future. And yeah. you can look at Star Trek as right. a perfect example exactly, of that. Yeah. Um, even uh, the founder of, of the first Motorola smartphone admitted uh, – sorry, first Motorola cell phone admitted yeah. that um, he turned to Captain Kirk and mm-hmm. his communicator – for uh, uh, to inform the, the, that particular device, Jean-Luc Picard walked around with these little slabs, and now we're all walking around with little slabs. And the people at Apple will flat out admit that the tablets were inspired mm-hmm. by the USS Enterprise. We can use science fiction as, as a guide. It's uh, always been
0: there, I think. It's, yeah. it's, we see it, I mean, you talk about augmented reality. We see it now in films all the time where the computer screen is no longer there and people are grabbing at things in the air and moving things around. Exactly. It's exactly the kind of thing I think you're talking about. Right, your
1: minority report type stuff yeah. or just glass on, on a desk yep. and that stuff gets superimposed over yeah. it. We, we have to start looking at technology not only as what does this mean for us a decade out? What does this mean 20 years out? But we can't look at it in isolation and recognize that so many other technologies are also coming along that will work with it. So augmented reality, just to come full circle, back to that as the unifying interface, the the Tolkien-esque one ring to rule them all. Mm -hmm. We're dealing right now with edge computing, artificial intelligence, uh, voice uh, command, all sorts of technologies that don't need to be present on your body at any given time. So we talked about fifth-generation wireless as well. So you combine AR and fifth-generation wireless, and now the tech doesn't have to be present with us. Our phone doesn't need to be in our right. pocket, as right. it were, anymore for us to do that Google search, to right. do the wayfinding necessary to get from point A to point B. We bring AI, AR as the unifying technology for so many other things, um, such that... It becomes the interface of the future. So again, full circle, we started off by talking about two years from now, all of us, by and large, are going to be using AR in one way, shape, or form. Take eight more years beyond that, and it's going to be so integrated in our lives, we're going to wonder, why did anybody put a physical light switch on a wall? You don't need them anymore.
0: Right. Do you, do you think there's a, a concern about us uh, becoming more distant from our real world in this as we move forward? Technology
1: can be used to augment our humanity, as it were, mm-hmm. to, to take a, a page from that uh, AR element. It can also be used to distance us. And, and this is where we need to step back and acknowledge that just because we can doesn't necessarily mean we should. Mm. You know, is that uh, Jurassic Park reference, mm. for mm-hmm. lack of a, yeah. a of a better quote, uh, mm. Jeff Goldblum is prescient in that in many ways. Um, I am optimistic that we are going to be able to, to figure this out, and in part because the generation that grew up with technology is the one that is quickly going to be making all of the rules about that technology, and. When I I had a conversation with the head of augmented reality at HTC, which for most of us is a smartphone manufacturer, but is actually huge in the virtual reality and augmented reality space, I was really encouraged that at the corporate level, I was hearing, there are ethical issues we need to address. Mm. We need to set the ground rules now. So this was a guy who was a Gen Xer, who's hired all millennials, and As a manager, he's hearing the feedback from his underlings about what needs to be done today to create the future we really want for tomorrow. And so the fact that that generation is informing the Gen Xers who are making the decisions, who then go to the boomer generation who ultimately still holds the purse strings for the next 10 years or so, Mm -hmm. there's an opportunity to make it right before it goes Terribly wrong. And we get Skynet and Terminator and robots coming in, destroying (laughs) us all.
0: Aren't we supposed to have this all done in the next 10 years, though? We're supposed to. Uh, Isn't that
1: our... (laughs) Listen, when I was a kid, I was promised robots Mm. to clean our houses, Mm. jetpacks and food in pill form. Mm. The only one I'm actually disappointed we haven't gotten yet is the food in pill form. Mm. But we are
0: well on our way on all of those things. Mm. Now you mentioned a couple of other things that were pretty interesting. We're getting short on time. It's uh, it's amazing how fast this goes by. But you know, you mentioned uh, these three D printers, and yeah. you know, you mentioned car accidents and mm-hmm. how uh, where are we going to get you know get those things from if if we are have these vehicles that are safer and we don't have the, the amount of accidents and et cetera, et cetera. There is also the other side of that is that will mean more people will be on the planet because mm-hmm. of a fewer accidents. But the idea of of creating uh, and and manufacturing body parts through three D printer process, that's that's a pretty interesting idea. I mean, that's a wow. Well, you were asking earlier about my Bay Street
1: experience. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's extrapolate based upon that. Um, when we were growing up as Gen Xers and Boomers, we were taught a basic mathematical formula for investing for your retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, The idea being is that by the time you hit 65, you had X number of dollars in the bank Mm. to maintain the lifestyle to which you had become accustomed. Well, we're throwing that all out now because we have to, because we're living longer through... Medical advances that we see, medical advances we don't see, social changes, um, something as simple as smoking, mm. and um, how that's become something you look down upon as a society, not support like back in the olden days when doctors and commercials were touting the benefits of menthol cigarettes. <laughs> so we, we find ourselves in a in a scenario where we got to ask ourselves, where does that technology lead? Mm. Um, the The ability to replicate parts. For our bodies means we are going to live longer, and it means we need to change the way we think about our work life. You know, the C.D. Howe Institute, the big think tank here in Toronto, has been banging on Ottawa's door saying you need to raise the age where we qualify for old age security from 65, mm-hmm. because there are going to be so many more of us living so much longer that we need to ensure that that social safety net exists for all of us down the road. How is it going to exist right. if we don't deal with that now?
0: So I want to thank you for coming in today. I want to leave with one of the choices of songs that you actually picked. Um, um, which one? Well, you actually have two that I thought were pretty good picks. Um, but I thought Blinded by Science is a is, is a pretty good song by Thomas Dolby. And uh, if we have time, maybe we'll we'll get on to the next one, but I don't think so. But listen, you know, I really hope that you are uh, your hopeful future that you have uh, that millennials uh, can unite and actually rise above um, the ability to to look at the whole the big picture, the benefit of the big picture rather than individuals or what 's in it for me and and to say we have to make this choice because we need to do this for our children and our and this planet we live on. I hope you're right about that.
1: Well, I think I am because your technical director, Andrew, is a millennial, and he's been grinning ear to ear this entire (laughs) conversation. So maybe we've actually got something done right here. All right.
0: Well, with that, let's listen to Thomas Dolby and Blinded by Science. Thanks for coming in. Thank
1: you.